0: All right. Uh, go ahead and turn to Judges chapter two. I can get the slide clicker here. It is great to have the teachers with us today. The teachers are one of the many leaders who influence and have a profound impact on our children. And teachers are important because leaders are important. Uh, leaders they make a difference um, for better or for worse. Hopefully not, but. Uh, you know, someone doesn't need to, to have a title of a leader to be a leader. Whenever someone or something has influence over you, then you are being led by that person. They are leading you. And I, I'm going to go out on a limb that you guys are here today because you want to be influenced towards being more godly. To be more like Jesus. And if you're uh, a guest with us today, I'm going to be so bold as to venture to guess that you're here today. Because on some level, you've seen what's out in the world. And what it has to offer. And you're hoping that maybe there's something better than what you've seen. But if you're like me, even though you want to be godly, even though you perhaps want to grow in your faith and you don't want what the world has to offer, you still feel yourself pulled towards the world. You'll still feel your t- your, yourself at times being attracted to what the world says. Um, I was reminded of this in a recent, uh, trip, our recent trip to Moldova. You know, I, I was struck by being there and seeing how much more I have here in America than they have there. And I'm like, oh, man, you know, culture can so easily, I can be so easily influenced by culture into thinking that the luxuries and, uh, you know, the stuff that we have makes my life better. But to see people with less being so much more content and joyful, you know, it's like, oh, you know what? The world, <laughs> I, I, I want to resist that. I don't want to be pulled towards The world. And as we'll see in our text today, even though Israel had experienced the blessing and salvation of God, they felt the pull towards worldly kind of thinking and behavior. And as we look at their story and connect the dots to our own story, we're going to be wrestling with this question How do we keep from drifting towards a worldly way of thinking and a worldly way of living? But before we dive right into the text, How did we get here? We got this sermon series. You are here. And um, we're going through the big story of scripture. So just a couple quick highlights. If you remember back in Genesis, God promised Abram, who would later be called Abraham, that I will make you into a great nation. He didn't have any offspring at that point, but God promised him, hey, I'm going to give you offspring and it will turn into a great nation. And a few verses after this, When Abraham's in the land of Canaan, God tells him, to your offspring I will give this land. And if you keep reading the story, you see God keeps his promises. Amen? We love that God always keeps his word. And so Abraham has offspring who multiply and multiply and multiply into the people of Israel, into the nation of Israel, and there's all kinds of ups and downs and twists and turns to their story. You know, they, they become enslaved in Egypt. God delivers them from slavery in Egypt. They wander in the wilderness for 40 years, but then, uh, as, as Kurt touched on last week, uh, when we looked at Joshua, the, the book of Joshua is really the story of God fulfilling this promise to them said, all right, this land is now going to be your home. And so he fulfills that promise to them. But one of the, I think, the key passages in all of the Old Testament, and that's really directing uh, our reading of the story as we look at these different episodes through Scripture, is from Exodus 19, where God is going, okay, Israel, here we are. We're going to keep moving forward. Here's the plan. Um, I, I want you guys to be a kingdom of priests. I want you to be a holy nation what does this mean well it means he wants to partner with israel so israel functioning as a kingdom of priests means all right you are going to help the rest of the world experience my salvation and blessing but in order to do that you have to be holy you can't be like the rest of the world you can't be swayed to living like the rest of the world it's interesting when you actually look at uh, uh, studies and literature of like sociology of religion. Um, the, what what you know? Those scholars will say that they'll say that religious groups that actually convert people to their cause are religious are, are the ones that are most unlike the culture around them. They're most different. They say, actually, religious groups and churches that are most like the society and culture around them in their thinking and behavior have a really hard time recruiting people (laughs) into their ranks. They say, because culture looks at them and go, you're no different than anything else I can get out here. Like, why should I choose you? What you're offering is the exact same as everything else. I'll just go find it somewhere else. So God's saying, if you're gonna be a kingdom of priests, you need to be different. You need to be holy and so he's, he, he takes the, so much of the, the Old Testament, as we call it, is God trying to form Israel into being this. And so um, we find ourselves in Judges 2. And we're going to begin in verse 6. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua. And the elders who outlived him and uh, who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of a hundred and ten. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Haris. I don't know how to say that. In the hill country of Ephraim, uh, north of Mount Gaash. All right. So the people, they settle into the land. They have their lasting home. Uh, they served the Lord during the lifetime of Joshua. He was a leader that kept them focused on following God. And they served the Lord after Joshua during the lifetime of the elders who had seen all the things God had done for Israel. This is why leaders are important. Anytime Israel was tempted to stray from following God, the, Joshua or the elders were able to remind them, no, don't forget what God has done for you. And this becomes a more and more dominant theme throughout the rest of Scripture, this theme of remember what God has done for you. I think so often we can be like Dory from Finding Nemo. Remember that? just captive to the moments. Whatever's happening, that's all we can think of and not remembering perhaps what just happened. You can leave service, perhaps this has happened countless times for you. You've left a worship service or a time together with with other disciples and you're inspired and you're like fired up to go do something for God, but by the time your head hits the pillow later that night, you've forgotten all about it. You've let something that's come up in between kind of take over your thinking and affect your attitude. We need to get good at remembering what God has done for us. All right, let's keep reading. Verse 10. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger. Because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. And in his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom uh, they were no longer able to resist. And whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. All right, here it is. We find Israel doing the thing. We hope to avoid, yet we find ourselves constantly battling. They were influenced by the people around them and the culture around them to adopt those beliefs and lifestyle and gave up on following God. But I want us to notice the chain of events. A generation grew up that neither knew God or what he had done for them. It says after that in verse 11, it was then that they did evil In the eyes of the Lord by serving other gods. They were pulled to the world around them once they lost sight of who God is and what He had done for them. I think today we're not tempted to bow down to idols in the way Israel was tempted to bow down to idols. Amen? Hopefully you're not tempted to physically bow down, but I think so. Oftentimes in our hearts, we might bow down. We might ascribe more credit. And attention than is due to other things besides God. David Clarkson, he was actually a, a Puritan minister from the 1600s. He actually wrote some great stuff about this. He talks about uh, idolatry occurs when the mind and heart is set upon anything more than God. When anything is more valued, more intended, anything more trusted, more loved, or our endeavors more for any, uh, anything other than Than God. He actually goes on to talk about 13 ways, like 13 different things that you go, this thing becomes an idol. Whatever, if you do these 13 things, um, this is what they are. We make an idol that which we most highly value, that which we are most mindful of, that we treat as our chief aim, that we are most resolved for or determined to pursue. We make an idol that which we most love or adore or most trust or place our confidence in or dependence upon. I think this one's interesting. Number seven, we make an idol that which we most fear. Like if you think about your life, what's the thing you're most afraid will happen to your life? That will actually clue you into perhaps the thing you hold most dear. We make an idol that which we make our hope or expectation of acceptance, the thing we desire most or long for, we most delight and rejoice in, that we are most zealous or fervent or passionate for, the thing we are most grateful to for what we receive in life, and what we are more careful or industrious for or spend the most effort upon. These are actually really challenging to sit with and go what what is it in my heart for each of these things it's really revealing again i don't think we we physically bow down our knees before uh, an actual physical altar uh, nowadays but i think in our hearts we can stray from our devotion to god and instead of idols i think western society we worship ideas ideas can be paramount Here are some ideas that I think uh, are are ubiquitous in our culture and that I I find we can often be pulled to to one degree or another as disciples. One is, and I just came up with these terms, all you need is love. I like the Beatles too. All right, this isn't like an anti-Beatles point. But there's this idea out there that life finds its ultimate fulfillment in a romantic and or sexual relationship. It's it's about finding that one perfect soulmate. And a life devoid of a romantic or sexual relationship is a fundamentally lacking life. And I think this idea is actually so deeply rooted. I think this is part of the reason why we find sexual expression and sexual orientation being such a big issue. Because we link it so closely like, no, the life that is truly life is rooted in our our romantic expression, and all you need is finding that kind of romantic relationship. I think another idea in our culture, I put here greed is good. This idea that greed is good, that money can give you the good life. Money will bring security, happiness, and freedom. To not have an abundance of money is to live without access to the good life. Another idea that I think can, can influence us that we have to battle with, the market determines your value. That is success is often equated with value and worth. Uh, how you do in your career uh, is directly then correlated to your usefulness as a person. And I think in an increasingly politically divided world, I think we can turn to political ideas and worship those more than we ought to. I actually came across this article of a guy, self-proclaimed Christian, who was wrestling with this himself, and he goes, I I had to do some serious thinking because someone challenged me if I was making politics an idol. And so he went through a series of questions himself that he thought through to go, where is my heart? Am I making politics an idol? And he put these questions in the article. Some of them were awesome. Here were some of these questions. So the first one, Have you spent more time today thinking about the president or another politician than you have thinking about the creator of the universe? Have you spent more time listening to talk of politics on social media, talk radio, cable news, and so on, than you spent in the word of God or with gospel-oriented media? I've seen this one, this next one, come up within our own fellowship. When I discover that a fellow believer disagrees with my political preferences, do I make assumptions about their level of sanctification and commitment to Jesus based on their political affiliation? Wait, they voted for who? And they call themselves a Christian? Have they ever read the Bible? They wouldn't be voting like that if they ever read, if they were a true Christian. I've heard stuff like that. If you start thinking like that, you need to pause. The last question that there's there were more, but these were these four. I was like, dang, do I judge myself as having noble motives when it comes to politics yet assume the worst about people on the other side of the political divide? Let me answer that question for you. Probably yes. Like we all kind of, <laughs> we all kind of do this. Actually, when we let the world influence, this is, that, I feel like that's a lot of the talk within politics. We're right, the other side has lost their minds. They're crazy, they're evil, they're, they have these ulterior nefarious motives. We're the ones trying to do good for people. And that can bleed into our thinking with how we then view each other. I mean, when these kinds of things, if, if, if these ring true, then yeah, maybe you're making politics an idol. I want you to remember the chain of events for Israel. Oh, let me, I'll get to that, that, uh, that quote in a second. The chain of events for Israel. A generation grew up that neither knew God nor what he had done for Israel. Listen, the more you know God, the more you want to know God. Right. Like the, the, the more when you remember what God has done for you, guys, it's I mean, we can't wrap our brain around just how much God has loved us, blessed us, forgiven us, had mercy on us, poured out his grace upon us and redeemed us. Guys, when you are are tied in and connected with that, the world does not look attractive because there's nothing in the world that comes close to how much God has done for us and how he loves us. Popular Christian writer Timothy Keller, who incidentally passed away, I believe on Friday, he wrote this, if we are deeply moved by the sight of his, that's God's love for us, it detaches our hearts from other would-be saviors. And so if you want to resist the pull of the world, you know what you need to do? You need to adopt practices that help you remember who God is and what he's done for you. You need to prioritize your time with God. Like your times with God need to be sacred times. They don't need to be this, if I got some energy at the end of the day, if the morning doesn't get too crazy. You know, it, no, your times with God need to be intentional, sacred, protected times. It's a a concrete practice that keeps you grounded in who God is and what he's done for you. When we take communion, every week we have a a physical, tangible practice where we remember what God has done for us on the cross. Make the most of that. Don't let your your thoughts and your heart wander as you take the bread and the juice. Think about Jesus' sacrifice, how he has forgiven you. Um, Find ways to practice gratitude throughout the week. It was really cool. Again, another story from our time in Moldova. You know, we got to hang out with the Revive EE team. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's this, you know, group of a couple dozen 20-something-year-olds who decide, all right, for 10 months, I'm going to go to Kishinev, Moldova, and we're just going to share our faith with as many people as possible and try to help as many people as possible become disciples uh, while we're here for these 10 months. And and so for most of the week, that's what they do. They get some they get spend time with God. Uh, It's built into their schedule every morning from like nine to eleven is you go be with God time. And then from like eleven to two, it's you're going to get some training on how to share your faith and study the Bible and move hearts. And then from two to whatever, it's like just go out and share your faith and try to meet people and things like that. And so what they do every Friday, they have a family dinner together. The whole team has a family dinner together. And everyone at that family dinner has to make a toast to God for something God did that week that they saw. And so it was cool that, you know, the the European Mission Society board, we were there and got to have dinner with them Friday night. And, you know, we were all kind of mixed up with the team at different tables. And it was like, all right, everyone at the table needs to make a toast to God. Um, And so the Revive team, you know, people kind of showed us how it was done. But it was cool sitting at the table. You know, someone just kind of tapping on the glass at some point during the middle of conversation I just want to make a toast to God. The God of, you know, there's the God who is bold. The God of all boldness who helped me, man, be bold. And I saw the, how it moved this person's heart. The God of relationships. I was reminded of how God knits us together. The God of second chances. And so you leave, feel, leave this, this dinner being reminded of what God has done for you just that week. I was mean, such a cool, this weekly practice to stay in touch with who God is and what He's done for you. We need those kinds of things. If you're pulled by the world, if you're influenced by the world, it's a major sign you have lost sight of who God is and what He's done for you. Now, you may have noticed that it said, because Israel followed other gods, God gave them over to their enemies. And there's this interesting thing at the end. Of verse 15, where it says God did this just as he had sworn to them. You might have been like, when did that happen? Where did it say this? Well, it says it back in Deuteronomy 28, 25, when they're going over the covenant again, God's going, here are the expectations. If we're gonna live in a relationship together, if you do good, this is what's gonna happen. If you decide to to follow other gods and turn your back on me, here's what's gonna happen. Are we clear on the expectations? Israel goes, yeah, all right. Are we good moving forward? Yeah, we're with you. We do this as parents. Teachers, you do this with your your students. You lay out the expectations of the classroom. You you make sure they know the consequences for certain behavior. I mean, I do this with my boys. Boys, if you decide to obey, it's going to go well. The house will be a fun place. This will all work good. If you decide to disobey this... You're going to get grounded or, you know, whatever the, the this is going to be the consequence. Do you understand? Yes, I understand. And then they disobey. Well, guess what? Guess what's going to happen? We got to give that consequence. If You don't give that consequence. They realize your word means nothing. And this is what God did with Israel. Guys, this is, here's, it'll go good if this, and this is what happens if you decide to not obey. We're we're good? Yeah, we're good. And then they decide to not obey. So I don't want us to read this thinking that God kind of threw some temper tantrum and just decided to punish them. (laughs) He's not flying off the handle like that. He warned them, they acknowledged the warning, yet they did this anyways. And God's not going to be deceived. If he says this is what's going to happen, if you do X, Y, and Z, and then you go do those things, God's going to make sure his word Uh, still holds true. Let's, Let's keep reading as we wrap things up here. Verse 16 through 19. Then the Lord raised up judges. Judges is another word for leaders here. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of the raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshiped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands." Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to their ways, even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways." So it's interesting, God punished Israel, but he also gave them a way out as well. He gave them leaders. Leaders are important. These leaders helped them change and follow God again. But when the leader died, they went back to their ways. By the way, those, these, these verses are pretty much a summary of the whole book of Judges. You're like, What's the book of Judges all about? What happens? That, that, that covers it. You'll read story after story of a leader that God raises up how it affects Israel, but then what happens afterwards. Um, But I think there's something really important for us to learn from this. What becomes abundantly clear through all of this is that Israel can't follow God on their own. They need a leader to keep them loyal. On your own, you cannot stay loyal to God. You need others in your life to help lead and encourage you to remain faithful. We all know the saying, it takes a village to raise a child, right? We know a well-adjusted, mature, functioning member of society doesn't happen in isolation. Parents and family play a role. Teachers play a big role. Coaches, other mentors, peers, things like this. Likewise, a faithful, mature disciple does not happen in isolation, it takes a number of relationships that lead that person towards faithful and mature discipleship. But this butts up against, I think, another idea that's out there in society that can influence us. And it's this idea that, that, that has a fiercely independent side to it. I think there's phrases out there that are so ubiquitous we don't often analyze them too much. Follow your own heart. Do what's right for you live your truth. And many like this are all over the place. Numerous children's movies are about a character bucking the traditions and expectations of others and following their own path. There's a time and a place for these things, but when those things aren't kind of tempered, when they're not qualified, it leads us to stepping in for God. Well, then I'll decide what's right. I'll decide what's true. I'll decide what I want to do. And when that uh, uh, is taken to the extreme, society ends up just like we find at the book, at the end of of, of Judges. This is the very last verse in the book of Judges. "In In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. This isn't a happy verse. This isn't like, oh, cool, everyone had the freedom to do whatever. It's not that. This is a, no, chaos and destruction reigned. Because everyone just did whatever they felt they wanted to do at the moments. We need a leader to keep us loyal. This becomes the main struggle for Israel. Will they be a holy nation or will they be just like those around them? And when I say we need a leader to keep us loyal, I'm not talking about myself or the other ministry staff. Although I think there's a place for... Leadership in those roles as well, but we need someone who has faced the temptations we faced, but has overcome and can lead us out of that. We need someone who will always be here for us. I think what we find here in Judges, and what we find at this part of the story, it points us to the to, to our need for Jesus and our need for a Savior. I love this passage in Hebrews 4. This is where we'll start wrapping it up here. Verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, which if we just pause right there, we believe Jesus ascended into heaven. That means he's not going to die and leave us leaderless like what happened in, in Judges. We believe he's with us to the very end of the age. And because of that, as we keep reading, let's hold Firmly to the faith we profess. For we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let's then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I think the greatest way, the best way for you To see who God is and remember what he's done for you, look to Jesus. Now, if this sermon is going to make any difference in your life, here's some suggestions I have for you. First, identify the one thing that competes most for your devotion to God. What are you tempted to make your idol? Don't let that question just kind of go in one ear and out the other. Sit with that a little bit. I think the second thing you can do to to help this get some traction articulate concrete practices you can adopt to keep yourself aware of who God is and what He's done for you. What would that look like in your life? Uh, What could some of those practices be? I I mean, after seeing that that weekly toast to God, I'm like, man, that'd be really cool. We we have a, a tradition in our family. Uh, Friday nights are, are pizza nights. We make homemade pizza because, you know, it's the, it's, pizza is the universal love language when it comes to food. We all love pizza. But to take some time there at the end of a school week for the boys or whatever, as the, you know, we head into the weekend for us to just as a family, I'm like, this would be cool for, for our family to do. To just go, let's just thank God for something that happened this week where we saw him. But, for, but for you to articulate what some things you can do to keep yourself aware of who God is and what he's done for you. And so we're going we're gonna to close with the prayer. Um, but we're going to close the prayer um, letting this verse be our guide here. As we leave here, you're going to feel the pull towards the world. No doubt about it. When you go to work tomorrow or school or even if you don't have either of those and you're just going about running errands, as soon as you turn on the TV, as soon as you open up your, your, uh, your, your smartphone or whatever, you're going to feel the pull of the world. What's going to keep us close to God? Remember who he is and what he's done for you. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus, who is with us always, who knows what this battle is like, who's overcome it and can lead us out of it, and let that motivate us to approach his throne of grace with confidence, amen? Let's pray as we close out our service. Jesus, we thank you that you are the great high priest who is always with us to the very, very end. And that because you're always with us, you can provide strength and encouragement and guidance and help. That we can have The the fortitude to hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Jesus, thank you that you're able to empathize with our weaknesses. That you yourself was tempted in every way. You know what it's like uh, to to, to face the pull uh, of the world. You know what it's like to face the challenges we face. And yet you did not sin. So God, lead us. Jesus, lead us. Show us the way. And Lord, may we always approach your throne with confidence so so that we can receive mercy because we need that mercy desperately. So we can find grace because we need your grace. Alert us to when we are starting to follow idols, when in our hearts we're bowing down to something other than you. And Lord, show us ways to remember who you are and what you've done for us. May we pass it on to the next generation. And may that generation pass it on to the next generation. And Lord, may for generations to come, there can, there can be uh, wholehearted disciples here in the western suburbs proclaiming your glory, proclaiming your gospel. We love you. We can't thank you enough for what you've done for us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Enjoy the fellowship, teachers. Teachers, there are donuts. <laughs>